Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we talk to some hosts across the network about their memories of their teams. We go to Charlotte to speak with Doug Branson of Locked On Hornets. We go to Cleveland to speak with Chris Manning of Locked On Cavs. And lastly, we go to Dallas to speak with Nick Angstadt of Locked On Mavericks to talk about their favorite players and times from their teams. It's all coming up, the biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. We're checking in with some more hosts across the Locked On Podcast Network to talk about memories from their teams, their favorite players, and some interesting stories along the way. So let's get to it. Now let's talk to the host, one of the hosts of the Locked On Hornets podcast. Doug Branson is here with me. Doug, you've been a member of the Locked On Podcast Network basically since we started, but you've been a Hornets fan longer than that. What drew you towards being a Hornets fan? It's funny, Josh. I actually liked the Charlotte Hornets as a kid before I liked sports. Like okay. I wasn't into football. I didn't. I didn't talk sports at school. Um, I just fell. In, I don't know why. I, I can't give you a, a perfect reason why. I just fell in love watching the Charlotte Hornets play basketball. Is this and now? I know back here in Australia when the NBA really started to explode, it was when the Hornets sort of started out. And the two biggest teams here in Australia were the Hornets and were the Bulls. So mm-hmm. there was lots of Michael Jordan jerseys going around, and then a whole bunch of Larry Johnson jerseys in that '91, '92 time period. So I think that was with the the big push of your Hornets starter jackets and the big branding push and the color scheme was huge. And that really boosted the Hornets popularity here in Australia. Is it around that time that they sort of got into your imagination when they first uh, came into the NBA? What's funny is it's not because so I was born in 1987. The team was granted uh, technically in 88. They started playing in 89 when I was two, a little over a little under two years old. And so that Larry Johnson, Alonzo Mourning, uh, I experienced that alongside a lot of our fans sort of in a nostalgic way, but not in a direct experiential way. Uh, I actually joined the the Hornets fandom in the probably mid-90s. So your, uh, your Anthony Masons, your Glenn Rices, you know, that's, that's yeah. when I joined the team. So the, the, basically when they traded Larry Johnson away and traded Alonzo Mourning. And honestly, I think it was because someone gave me a, my first television set, and it was a portable television set that I put in my room, and I put it on my um, bookshelf that was across from my bed, and it had one of those uh, bunny ear antennas going <laughs> on, and and so I would mess with it and, and try to tune a channel, and I tuned it to Waxen, W-A-X-N 64, which was the broadcast home of the Charlotte Hornets at the time, and this basketball game was just right in front of me, and it was so miraculous that I could watch a basketball game in my bedroom as a probably a nine-year-old, eight-year-old kid, and I just fell in love. It's sort of a, it's one of those just weird sports romance stories. 
that's you know doing these you know, mini interviews with people across the network i'm just finding you know, the the real importance of sport and how people came to become fans of these teams and i think the stories are all really really interesting as to how people discover their teams and latch onto that team or what it means from a personal perspective and how it you know, translates through their family or maybe it doesn't translate through their family and what that means for all those dynamics there's so many interesting things that sports brings brings us but that then brings us to the negative side of things Doug and when the hornets moved to to mm. uh, New Orleans like what was that feeling like without basketball in Charlotte how old were you at that time and how did you react to that sort of news it was devastating it was heartbreaking um i remember crying as uh i would have been this would have been near the end of middle school for me so we're talking um 7th 8th grade uh and i was yeah i mean i was just utterly devastated heartbroken uh, I grew up in a lower middle class family, so going to sports games, we were the, uh, I don't know, this might not mean too much to you, Josh, but the, the, in, in the United States, we're used to these commercials, or we were used to them uh, back in the day of the $5 monster truck rally. So you would you know, lay down $5 or $20 for a family and go watch a monster truck rally. Like That was my live sports experience because that's what we could afford. We couldn't afford to go to a, a professional basketball game. So I would watch them on Wax and 64. But when they decided to leave, my dad, as a birthday present, took me to the final regular season home game of the Charlotte Hornets. And we sat close to courtside. I mean, we, we really broke the bank. And he, he took me to the very last regular season home game. And I remember they gave out an Eldon Campbell beanie baby. And they were giving everything away. I mean, they did, whatever they didn't want to take to New Orleans, they were giving away. So we got like a bunch of T-shirts. I bought a Baron Davis jersey. But I got this Eldon Campbell beanie baby, which I still own. It's one <laughs> of my most prized possessions. And it's not, it's not, it doesn't look like Eldon Campbell. It's actually a bear. But, it isn't, but it's Eldon Campbell's number eight and Campbell on the back. Uh, Beanie Baby, because this would have been a, around the time of the Beanie Baby craze as well. Uh, but yeah, I was gutted. And when they left, I stopped watching basketball and started finding other sports. So, you know, I, I drifted towards football, the Carolina Panthers. Um, and even when the Bobcats came back, which which I'm sure we'll get to, it took me a little bit to, to fall in love with that team because I was so hurt by by how everything went down. Do you think the... You know, and maybe talking from your perspective or from other fans' perspective, you know, having the Bobcats back here does take a bit of time to warm up. But do you think the rebranding helped in that when that eventually happened that people went, okay, well, now it's our Hornets again? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, yeah, you saw that around the city. The city gravitated towards the team in a way that they never did the Bobcats. Now, saying that, it's going to take this franchise winning significant playoff series and getting in front of a national audience to bring back the same fire and fervor that you saw at the original Charlotte Coliseum when they were selling it out for, uh, I believe it was nine straight seasons. They sold the Charlotte Coliseum out and, um, you still don't see that, but you know, the merchandise sales are up because people love the Hornets brand. And it means something to Charlotte, by the way, the Hornets name is a reference to the the British during the American Revolution called Charlotte a hornet's nest. It, it, it means something to the history of the city because it was so tough to take Charlotte over during the American Revolution because they fought so hard to keep that city. 
And, and so it, it just meant something down deep, whereas Bobcats didn't really ring as true. It, it, it rang more true to the, the first owner of the Bobcats, Bob Johnson. Yeah, that was always a, a weird one in terms of the naming there. Now, Doug, before we get you out of here, just asking all the hosts the same thing. Your favorite player as a member of the Hornets, whether it's original Hornets or Bobcats Hornets, whichever one you want to do, and a sort of an under-the-radar player that many people may not even remember or may not feel the same sort of affection that you do. Who are those players for you? Well, let me get this out of the way so that no Hornets fan right now is upset with me. Kimball Walker is the greatest player in franchise history, and I love uh, the Dickens out of Kimball Walker and and enjoyed watching him play and watching him break the all-time franchise scoring record. But my personal favorite player of all time was my original point guard when I uh, really started cheering for the team, and that was Baron Davis. And I that's the only uh, jersey, the only jersey that I had as a kid was the Baron Davis jersey. So he was my... Uh, my favorite uh, underrated player. I always stand for Jamal Mashburn when, oh, when, Jamal when that Mashburn. team, he was so good and he was such a fluid scorer and he could really turn it on. And he, I think, you know, had the Hornets stayed and, and Mashburn not gotten hurt. You know, I mean, it, honestly, he, he helped lead the Hornets to th- their most success in franchise history. I mean, they almost got to an Eastern conference finals in that uh, 2000 2001 series against uh, the Bucks, and that went all the way down to Game Seven. And had it not been for Ray Allen, Sam Cassell, and and the big dog Glenn Robinson just turning it on in Game Six, uh, the Hornets were going to the Eastern Conference Finals, and a lot of that had to do with Jamal Mashburn and his ability to score 25 at will during that season. And he would go on to play with New Orleans, obviously, but injuries limited what he could do. But there are a lot of what ifs there. Uh, Jamal Mashburn was one of my favorite players to just watch get a bucket. You look at his like the, the end of his career, and he was still playing huge minutes in that last season when New Orleans, like 38 mm-hmm. a night, and then uh, averaging 21 points a game, and then just that was it. That was it for him, injuries and uh, the the knee problem. That was it. We just never saw him again, which is wild to look at those numbers. And you got his last three, four seasons, he averaged over 20 points per game and then finished. What a wild uh, end to his career. Like, I loved him as a rookie as the, from the Mavericks. That's when I really started to get into basketball around that sort of time. In that 91, 92, 93 period when he was drafted, he was always a favorite, but yeah, a huge player across the course of his career. Doug, you're going to have lots of content for us coming out over on uh, Locked on Hornets. Thanks for uh, jumping on Locked on NBA and talking a little bit about your Hornets history. Always. It was fun. Thanks, Josh. Now let's bring in the host of the Locked On Cavs podcast. Chris Manning is here with me, one of the uh, one of the hosts that's been with the Locked On Podcast Network right from the very beginning. Chris, welcome back to Locked On NBA. Hey, man, it's good to be back. So what we're doing, of course, here over this uh, coronavirus-induced shutdown is just touching base with uh, with hosts across the Locked On Podcast Network and talking about memories from the teams that they cover. Chris, you, of course, host uh, the Cavs podcast, so you are a Cavs fan. How long uh, have you been a Cavs fan? You know, I would say probably as long as I've been um, a basketball fan. So like I've my whole most of my mom's side of the family is from you know Ohio, um, from the Cleveland area specifically. Um, have lived in the area for most of my life, just a couple years where I lived in a different part of the state. But yeah, it's been kind of a a thing for me for basketball was always kind of my favorite sport growing up. I mean, there was a, I I think there's a moment where it like really clicks is in, I was in fourth grade when LeBron gets drafted. So I was still very young at that point, but me and my friends who I play basketball with and um, at, at that time, all got LeBron jerseys, warm to school, and I think that's sort of where it became like quote unquote cool to be a Cavs fan. But it's always kind of been like my um, favorite 
sport to kind of consume and favorite thing to watch and and the favorite team the, the team that for whatever reason i have just have invested more time into than any other um that's interesting about the you know, being at that sort of formative fandom age around the time when lebron was drafted so what was that that sort of buzz around that even before he'd played a game like you were you know everyone was super pumped about that in that uh, cleveland fandom cleveland area Everyone knew who he was. Um, ever he was a bigger deal in the Cavs this senior year, high school probably probably his junior year. Um, you know, like I don't know if you're like if people out there always remember like some of the stuff he got in trouble for in high school. But there was like the whole thing with the Hummer that was like the biggest sports story in Northeast Ohio at the time, up along with the Browns. I would I would say I was only like ten at the time, so like maybe my memory is like forgetting something with the Indians or the Browns or whatever. But um, that was there. There was, you know, the whole he got suspended for. Um, was taking he missed a game or like a half or something for taking like jerseys from uh giving taking these throwback jerseys one of which was a Jim Brown throwback jersey from a shop in Cleveland um but like he was a really really big deal and and there was no one like him I mean he would play at like local he would play like he played at the high school I went to um at a tournament once and it was like the biggest it was like one of the biggest things that had ever kind of come through the town and it's like it was a I went to a pretty big D1 high school but like he came and played and it was like clearly the biggest sporting event that had ever happened um at the time he was it, it was there's nothing else i think I, I don't think the whole time i'm alive the whole time i'm covering the nba i will there will ever be anything quite like the build-up for that just in terms of it being local him staying local the team just being needing that that energy and a guy like that so badly and him clearly just maybe being there um i i don't think even though i was not like fully cognizant of some of the the nitty-gritty of it I just the, how big that was and how just crazy it was um, just remains just one of the nuttiest things that I think has ever kind of happened in, in in Ohio sports history. So there's a couple of things yeah from that that, that I want to get into is yeah, talking about yeah say the biggest moment or your favorite team or your, fa- your your most memorable moment from your time of being a, a Cavs person. But there's a few of those. That is that LeBron being drafted period. There is of course LeBron leaving and the feelings surrounding that. There's the feelings of LeBron coming back. There's the 2016 championship. So which one? Of those and maybe there's another one that throws in there of course they're all lebron related but which one of those four things resonated the most with you either in a positive sense uh, a negative sense did the championship cancel out the negative feelings of lebron leaving like what was the number one moment in uh you know i um yeah i think there's a couple um i would say if you're looking at the kind of the from just the early the early bit i would say like i i can tell you where I was for like a lot of big just LeBron stuff. Um, you know, I distinctly remember, I think the first time I ever got to see him play in person in the NBA was when he was playing KG and the Wolves at the time. And that was just like a real, I just, I think I was like maybe in fifth, sixth grade and my dad took me and it was just like, I just remember just being like, holy crap, this is amazing. Um, you know, I, I distinctly can tell you like where I was when he decided to go because I distinctly remember um, following along with, the the coverage of everything just kind of everyone speculating what was going to happen and um that was the playoff stuff and i can you know watching like the shot he hit against orlando and everything the year before but um i was at cedar point the night of the decision which is this theme park in northwest ohio and the friend i was with we it was gonna start raining but we like ran through the park to get to like a tj friday's or something to like watch um the decision live on espn at a bar and like sneak in there and like watch it and I had been following along and I'd been like telling my friends that he was going to stay because he had filed. I read in the plane dealer, the local paper that he had like 
filed paperwork to change his jersey number and you only had to do that if you were going to stay in the same team (laughs) Uh, so i'd like convinced my friends that he was going to stay um and then uh it didn't obviously didn't happen i just remember a bunch of like very angry adult drunk men um you know being very angry but then on the flip side of that is like when he comes back um i was uh at a i I, the first saw it i was at a barnes Noble with my friend scott and we were um just shopping and like kind of hanging around we ended up going to get a beer um and had a christmas sale in july and like got some not to just celebrate it and went and had a beer and we we're just like holy crap and everyone was just kind of celebrating at the time um it was crazy um there's just like so many but if you want to see those two temples where they both involve bars which um you know that's fun of course, it is fine. Uh, the bar scene and uh, American sports in particular seem to be very heavily intertwined. But let's talk about, you know, I assume, you know, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, I assume that your favorite Cavs player of all time is LeBron. And if that's the case, I'll just move on to the next section because we already talked about LeBron here. Is that is that the case, Chris? Um, hmm. I would say, yeah, because I, well, I, I think there's LeBron category and the non-LeBron. Brian category. Um, I love Kevin Love. I think what Kevin Love I means just has, was he always a guy I really liked before that. But I think if there's LeBron and then it's guys like Kevin Love, it's guys like um, Delonte West, it's guys like Mo Williams, Anderson, Verjao. Um, it's definitely two categories because LeBron is sort of in his own class in whatever sense you want to put it in. <laughs> and he is just his own being. And then there's everybody else. Last question for you then. Like, what, who is the player that you, you know, really liked for whatever reason it is, but yeah, you probably wouldn't get a huge amount of people supporting you in that decision or saying, yeah, this guy was actually good. Who is that player that you maybe unreasonably stand for uh, as a member of the Cleveland Cavaliers? Um, the I'll, I'll give you two quick answers. This one, the first one is that I always really wanted Luke Jackson to work out because he was drafted wow. the year after LeBron, number 10 <laughs> out of Oregon, had a really bad back. Um, and he just never worked out. I like tried to, I distinctly remember like trying to make him work. And like when I was still playing 2k at the time and, um, yeah, it didn't work out, but he, you know, them missing on the draft pick was something I really wish would have worked out. But, um, I think the answer for me, and I actually think this is an answer for a lot of people that I interact with on Kev's Twitter is Delonte West because Delonte West was incredible. Um, go back and watch highlights of his from that time. Go back and watch like some of the, the the plays he was making, the defensive ability, athleticism. It is just like incredible how good he was. Um, I think he, he I think he's one of those guys, and I think Mark Price is another guy like this. Where if you put them in the, the NBA now, they would be even better. Um, and obviously with Delonte, there's just a lot of concern about his mental health, his mental well being. Um, you know, I hope he obviously he's doing better and is getting help that he needs and, and everything like that. But I think if if you're looking at for me a guy that I thought was just amazing that I thought was just um, uh, just a great, great player that I think probably doesn't get enough love looking back. I think it's Delonte. Um, I, I don't – the Cav, you know, the Cavs this year in their 50th year have done a lot of bringing guys back, and they brought back guys like Larry Hughes, who was this, like, big frequency miss that they made with LeBron, and, like, um, Z's been back, and uh, Daniel Gibson, and all these guys. And I don't know where Delonte's at right now. I can't speak to that, but um, – I think if there's someone that has, to me, has been missing from this 50th year celebration, it's Delonte West. And I, th- I think he deserves a lot more credit for how good and important he was for the Cavs for a time. 
All right, that, that would be interesting to see if they were able to, to bring him back. Obviously, there's been yeah, lots of speculation about his uh, his current state at the moment, and we wish Delonte uh, all the best in, in getting himself uh, back to uh, a, 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 better, a better position in his life. It's always sad to see those sort of things. Chris, you're going to have content for all Cavs fans over on Locked On Cavs throughout the entirety of this coronavirus shutdown. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. Josh, as always, it's a pleasure. Now let's bring in one of the hosts of the Locked On Mavericks podcast. Nick Angstat is here with us today. Nick, now a lot of people who listen to Locked On Mavs will know that you are, in fact, not a Mavericks fan or haven't been a Mavericks fan all all your life. You were uh, and still are a a Lakers fan, but you do cover the Mavs. Um, So just expand on that and how you came to be, you know, covering the Mavs for Locked On Mavericks. Yeah, so I was born in Los Angeles and uh, my dad always used to tell me growing up, he said, you know, you're born during a Lakers game, which was true. There's Lakers game going on. They were playing the Kings. They ended up winning that game, but uh, the game was playing while I was born in the hospital. My dad said he was watching it in the, you know, in the lobby waiting for me. And so he'd always tell me that. And then uh, I really started watching basketball, you know, with that Kobe and Shaq, you know, three peak team. And so I really, you know, that's how I really fell in love with basketball. So if anyone ever asked me, you know, that I think that question was going around on Twitter recently from Yahoo Sports, uh, which player got you into watching basketball? And for me, it was always Shaq. Shaq was, Shaq was the guy that I just loved, loved watching. I just loved everything about him. And so uh, that's how I really got into basketball to begin with. And uh, fast forward to, you know, when I went to college, I went to college in Dallas and I uh, really wanted to cover the NBA, loved the NBA. And so the easiest way for me to do that was to to you know cover the Dallas Mavericks, and so I started. It was the 2016-17 season where I started writing about the team, covering the team in person, and uh, it was pretty rough. <laughs> it was pretty rough then, but I got to be around Dirk, who was one of my favorite players growing up too, and so that was pretty awesome of an experience. And so that's how I really got into covering the the Mavericks. Just happened to be where I went to college. So in terms of you know, your history with the Mavs, it's it's shorter than some people are covering it for these few years. But you know, would you say that Dirk is your favorite all-time Mavericks player? Not only from the time you're covering it, but just watching you know, going back over the history of the team? Oh, yeah. Shaq was my favorite player growing up. But I think Dirk is my all-time favorite player uh, at this point, especially having been around him, talked to him, you know, covered him and seen you know how he works and how he interacts with others. And um, there's just there's some moments where you know, when I was covering the team that, um, it was after everyone had pretty much left. A lot of the media had left and Dirk is just joking around with people in the locker room, like Harrison Barnes and, you know, joking around with them and and stuff like that. And just to get to see a a person like that and to see the little things that Dirk does for so many people. Um, I'm sure you saw a lot of the stuff when Dirk retired, you know, seeing him go and, um, interact with kids at hospitals and things like that. Like he just became, I, my my respect level could not be any higher for a human, and so he became, you know, and the way he plays, obviously, is you know, uh, is amazing too. He's a legend, but he is definitely, my, you know, my favorite player now. So when you you know, start covering the Mavs, a team that you didn't have necessarily that childhood history with, how much do you have to delve back into the history? It, it's not really just a case of, well, I'm starting this season, and whatever happens from Mavericks from here on out is what I cover. Like you have to have an understanding of context of where heartbreak comes from, of where rivalries come from, of where player histories come from, all those sort of things. So how much work was that to try and dig back into the team's history to get an understanding? And it can't just all be done through you know going down and reading stuff. Like you have to hear the stories. Like how hard was that to sort of get that backstory of the franchise to come and cover them the way you do? 
Yeah, it's sort of like trying to understand what happened in a game just by reading a box score, right? Like you can get a certain idea of what went on, but you have to kind of you know talk to some people that were there and get an idea of you know what fans thought of then, just get the whole picture. And so, I with covering the Dallas Mavericks has been I've been pretty lucky in the sense that a lot of their real memorable history is is pretty you know has been pretty public like obviously you know the Mavericks went to the 2006 finals and that was their first finals uh, and their history kind of before that was was pretty rough you know it had some up and down years but it was pretty rough to be you know in the 80s and such when they first became a team uh, but the 2006 finals obviously I'd watched that you know I knew the history with Dwayne Wade and the heat and all that and then Dirk, you know, gets the MVP in 2007 and they lose in the first round. That was a pretty, you know, widely known series and people watched that. And I remember watching it. And then 2011, obviously, I watched all those games heading up. But, you know, first time against the three, you know, uh, the three headed monster of, you know, the Miami Heat and then playing the Miami Heat again. You know, even little things like Dirk, and, you know, uh, you know, being sick and LeBron and Wade coughing. You know, that's a huge thing with, with Mavs fans that they absolutely do not like. Um, Dwayne Wade and, and LeBron because of that and because of some other things too. And, you know, they were making fun of him and coughing, you know, in their way to their locker room and stuff like that. But um, a lot of those things I kind of knew coming into it, but I've just learned as I went along. Uh, it's it's the way that we, you know, cover teams on Locked On Mavs it's, and just in the Locked On network in general. Uh, it's kind of day-to-day. And so if you follow the day-to-day, if you're there, you know, I was in the locker room for a while and so – uh, you get to know the day-to-day stuff. You're keeping up with that. And then you just learn things. You learn history things. People will mention stuff. Players will mention stuff. Uh, every once in a while, someone says something about a game, and I just don't remember. And so I have to go back, and I'll watch highlights, and I'll you know, try to read something about it. But uh, every once in a while, something comes up where a fan will have followed a team much longer than me and know more about the team. And I kind of get stuck with my pants at my, you know, my ankles, but not as much as Jamal Murray did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jamal Murray. That was uh, obviously an interesting thing for a lot of people in the states to wake up to. That happened prime time here. I for had me. To, I had to get one in there, like he did. Yes, of of course, you always have to get those ones in there. Now, <laughs> um, Nick, in terms of favorite player, yeah, in terms of favorite player, we, we've got Dirk. But what about under the radar guys? There, there are always players that when you're covering a team or when you're following a team, you've got that player that you know about that you really like that others may think is ridiculous for you to think this player is good or to think that you're being a homer for really pumping this guy up. But who's that player for you? Who's that one guy for you where you're going to have a majority of people going, what are you talking about? He's trash. Who's that guy for you? <laughs> uh, you mentioned a guy you know, before we started recording, and that's that's uh, Salah Measure. He was a guy that we, talk, we talked about way too much on the podcast when he was part of the Mavericks. And uh, because he was such a fun guy to talk to, he would always say stuff. He was always willing and, and available. Uh, he was so funny. Uh, you know, he could block shots and he could do some things on the court, but it was more of just, you know, what he was in the locker room. And so that kind of, that, you, you kind of, as a reporter, sometimes you get like, you know, players will, will stir you to try and talk about them a little bit more because they're so fun to talk to, you know, and available and things like that. Uh, and in the 2016-17 season, when I first started covering the Mavs, it was really bleak. Like there's not a lot to talk about. There's not a lot to get excited about. And one player that really, really stood out and had an incredible week and made it easier on us to, you know, create content and get people excited about the team was Yogi Ferrell. I mean, he really jumped onto the scene and had a week where, you know, a week or two where he was just, you know, doing some incredible things and he had that crazy game in Portland and oh, Yogi okay. Mania was a real thing. Uh, another really under the radar player that helped create help helped create some content and get people excited about the team was Tony Romo. I don't know if you remember that. 
Yeah. Now, okay. So <laughs> I, I remember something about it. He was sitting courtside and they'd signed him to a one-day contract or something. And then they were like, there was, hey, put him in. What exactly happened there? Refresh my memory. So, yeah, it was, it was the 2016-17 season, I believe. I don't think it was 2018. Um, he, they basically signed him to a one-day deal. Uh, he went to shoot-around and he was there at shoot-around. It was the most media I had ever seen up until that point. I think Dirk's 30, you know, 30K game and a couple Lakers games, you know, may have made up for that, but... Um, they signed him to a one day deal. He did shoot around and he did the, uh, you know, the pregame, um, like layup lines and stuff. And then he just sat on the bench, but he had a Jersey and they sold, you know, like player tees and they sold like jerseys with Tony Romo's name on it with the number nine. Uh, and it was kind of just ceremonial sending Tony Romo off cause he had been such a beloved Cowboys player, but, uh, that was pretty funny. And just, we, you know, the legend of Tony Romo <laughs> in the Romo week was, was, uh, something that helped us on lockdown Mavs. And we, uh, we keep joking about it now. I completely forgot about Tony Romo, and that is why having uh, the local experts covering the team always have those little bits of interesting uh, information for us. Nick, everyone can follow what you guys are doing over on Locked On Mavs throughout this hiatus, and thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. Absolutely. Thank you, Josh. And that will do it for another episode of Locked On NBA. Make sure you are subscribing, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and you can also ask your smart device to play the latest episode of Locked On NBA. And after this show's finished, why don't you also tell your smart device to play the latest episode of Hollinger and Duncan right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. You can follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore b Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.